you in on a little uh, theme that I've discovered in my life. Actually, I was kind of thinking it was a recent thing, but as I was thinking back, uh, it's something I've been doing for a long time. And uh, I remember going to the grocery store. I'm from Wisconsin, so they're called IGAs. I don't know. Anybody heard of the IGA? Yeah. Yeah. People have IGAs. Yeah. So IGA, I don't know what it stands for. Probably something about groceries with a G. But um, I remember one time when my sister and I were like going into the store, they had like this kind of flower bed with trees and mulch. And I remember I saw like a, a penny or a quarter or something like on top of the mulch. And I was like, whoa. And then I looked and I was like, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. And I don't know what had happened. Somebody like dumped out their purse or something in this. And we were just like going through this, finding all these coins and collecting them. And we were so excited. And I remember another time when we were in the same store uh, that I was like looking, you know, there's like that little conveyor belt that moves the groceries. And I could always like see down in this crack and I could see all these coins, all this change that people like dropped in there accidentally, like they're paying for their thing, they dropped in there. And then I was like, whoa. And one time the cashier was like, you want to go in there? I was like, yeah. So she like opened it up for me. I mean, they're gathering all these coins out of there, and it was just like, you know, jackpot. And I also remember a time when my family and I were in Arizona. My, I have an uncle, uncle and an aunt, you know, my uh, mom's brother and sister. And I remember one time we were walking across this, or walking along this really busy road, and there's just all this change, all these coins alongside the road. And I was like, Mom, I want to pick it up. And I don't know what I was, like four or something. And she was like, no, like it's too close. There's like these cars went by like 50 miles per hour. And I'm like wanting to reach down there. And now that I think about it, you know, now imagine Hudson doing that. <laughs> Since he's four, I'm like, yeah, she's probably you know, making a good choice. But I was thinking to myself, I can handle this, Mom. I'm not going to fall. And so as we're walking, I would just keep asking my grandma, can you get that one for me? And she was nice and picked several of them up. And uh, Katie and I, when we were in college, I had this thing where I had this walk across the parking lot to the campus, and I would find these coins, and I would told Katie, like, what if, what, what if we, when we were going on walks dating, I was like, what if we looked for coins? I've told a lot of you this story. What if we looked for coins, and we, like, went on a date with what we found? Like, how long would that take? And what did it, it took, like, what did it take, two weeks or a month for the first one? It was, like, two dollars. And we got these hot push Sundays at McDonald's, they're a dollar each. And then we were like, this just took too long. And so then we started walking through the drive-thrus at night. We'd go, people would drop all their chains, and we gathered it up. We would just go through them all each night. And we'd go on campus and look under all the pot machines and on top of them. That's it. By the way, if you're tall, then, this is, you can, this, people leave their coins up there all the time. So I was in Walmart, I always looking at the little quarter. <laughs> so it took, what did it took, what did we say, two weeks or a month to get the first $2? And then we started looking under the machines and looking in the drive throughs It was like two weeks and we had like $23. And so we went to Noodles uh, & Company for a date. So there's this theme in my life where, I don't know, I have this fascination of looking for coins. I still do it. I like, you know, look every time I go out, we go on a walk and I'm like, ah, dude, we came out with a profit today. I found a coin. You know, one penny, 25 cents. And I don't know, it's just a, there's like something, there's like a thrill to it. Like, what are we going to find today? And like, am I going to find a coin? And, it, and then I put it in this little thing, and then I save up for, you know, whatever else, whatever I want to buy. But we do it with lots of things, kind of like we're on the hunt for something. So it might be uh, that you're a hunter, Jonathan will understand this, that you're a hunter, and there's like the thrill of the hunt, like what am I going to see today? Or, or fishing, like what am I going to, you know, there's a fishing, and each, each cast is like what's going to be on the end of that line. Or some of us do it with um, shopping, we'll do it with garage sales, it's like garage sales, We've discovered it's either you find nothing 
or you find like something really awesome, or usually just walk away with Hudson, find some toy that's like 10 cents, so it's like, sure, it wasn't a waste, but you know, he'll get this little, some sort of toy, but it's like garage sales, it's like you're hunting through other people's stuff, trying to find that treasure that you're looking for, or channel surfing even, uh, surfing through the channels, it's like, you know, the next one is going to be something I want to watch, uh, and or looking for deals, like watching Amazon, or watching whatever it is, we kind of like to search for things, we like to uh, hunt for things. We like the thrill uh, of when we find that thing. It's like, I found this thing. It's like a treasure to us. And Jesus, when we look at how he described the kingdom, he used this word a lot, treasure. And we're, this is the fourth week in this uh, loving Woodstock series we're doing. And each work, week is starting with the word kingdom. And today is kingdom worship. And so our first one was on kingdom prayer, looking at the uh, how Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, what's he praying for? That God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done, not our kingdom or our will. And then we looked at um, being kingdom workers, of how Jesus looked out at the world and he saw there are uh, far more people that need to be told about Jesus than there are people telling them. So he says, the harvest is plentiful, there's so much work to be done. And so he says, you know, get out there and pray that more workers will be sent out to do kingdom work. And then last week we talked about the kingdom message. What was this message that Jesus was coming around with? What was the good news? And it's basically the good news of this is what God is like. We saw in the story of the prodigal son that this is the kind of God we're talking about. That people who have made a complete mess of their lives, who have done everything wrong, and if God sees them turning back to him, he runs out to them and embraces them with lavish, abundant love. That's the message that Jesus says, this is what I've come to tell people about. And today we're thinking about kingdom Worship, And if you turn to um, Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, there's just these two short verses. That's uh, page 819 if you're using the Bibles that we have, the black Bibles on the table. That's Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And here, Jesus describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. So he says in Verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so there's these two people that are searching. The one kind of happens upon it accidentally, the, the treasure in the field, the other is searching, and he finds what he was looking for. And in the first one, there's treasure hidden in the field. This is a day when they didn't really have banks for, as a place or uh, safety security boxes, where those are called, to store your stuff. Like, I don't want this to get lost, I'm going to store it somewhere. They didn't have that. So often people would store their stuff in the ground. And there's been, our archaeologists have found you know, pots in the ground uh, that have like coins in them or precious jewels and precious metals and stuff. And so this was the thing. You bury your stuff and you hide it underground so that people wouldn't, uh, couldn't steal it. It's a good place to have it. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like treasure hidden in the field. This man, he finds it, uh, then he covers it back up, and then in his joy he sells all that he has and buys that field because he realizes what I just found is worth 
more than anything I have, and everything I have, that if I sell all of what I have and get rid of all of, all of it, I will have more by having this treasure that I have just found. And then flip back a little bit to Matthew 6, uh, 21, uh, page 811, if you in these Bibles, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, page 811, using the Black Bibles. And Jesus uh, says, in starting in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, in verse 24, skipping down a bit, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so he talks about treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing that we're treasuring, and he talks about these worldly possessions of people having, laying up treasures for themselves on earth, where it can be destroyed. But he says, no, put it... Have your treasure laid up for you in heaven, because where your treasure is, there you're hardly also. And so if we're trying to accumulate earthly goods um, as our treasure, then our heart is here too. Our heart is not uh, on God. It's not on... He makes that clear that this isn't about necessarily like, okay, there's heaven and there's earth, but he makes it clear. He's talking about the treasure is, if you're treasuring the kingdom of heaven, that means you're treasuring the king of the kingdom of heaven, is that your focus is on him, your devotion is to him, that... He is your treasure. And he says in verse 24, he's like, don't, he's basically saying, don't accumulate earthly possessions, and, but instead accumulate treasures in heaven. And then he makes it clear, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So he's like, where is your heart going to be? Is it going to be in money, or is it going to be in God? Which one is going to be your treasure? And he's talking about, really, divided loyalties, having two masters, uh, that... When you find the kingdom, you found the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And he's saying you can't have you can't have both. It's not a both and here. It's an either or. And of course, we're all in a process of uh, making God our treasure more and more as we go through life. So it's not like we're perfect at that. But he's saying it can't be one. You can't be devoted to money. You can't be devoted to earthly things and be devoted to God. And so we should ask ourselves, what commands primary loyalty in our lives, uh, where Jesus says nothing held back, nothing saved for other, quote, treasures. Give anything to gain this. You, you know, you give all, all, if you give all of your life up, everything you have, you've gained, still gained everything, so much more if you're finding your treasure in God. And he wants us to be all in. When you think about the command from the Old Testament that Jesus repeats, that we're supposed to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. In other words... We're supposed to love God. You put all of our eggs in that basket. We're supposed to love Him with everything we are and everything we have. That it's just He. It's all there. But as He says, it's like a man finding a treasure in a field. He gave up everything so that he might have it. And so, yes, there's sacrifice that we're surrendering to God. But the man who found the treasure in the field and says, in his joy, he went and sold everything we had. He found this treasure, and now it's like, well. I guess I just have to live a hard life of you know, giving stuff up for this. No, when you find God, when we find Jesus, it's not, well, he asks a bit too much, and I kind of want to keep from, some for myself, and I'm uh, having a hard time with it. And he, but this says, if we really know how great a treasure Jesus is in our joy, 
We will give up everything and anything in order to have him. And so we see here that God or Jesus will not share us. He will either have all of us or none of us. He will not tolerate a smorgasbord approach of like, you know, I want to have a little treasure here, have a little treasure there, have a little treasure there. No, he says, you have one or the other. It's you know, either God or money. It's either all of your stuff uh, or the treasure in the field because unless you give up all that stuff, you can't have the treasure in the field. It's not yours. It doesn't work for, and it doesn't work for us to have a smorgasbord approach of like, I'm just going to get a little bit of everything, a little God, a little world, a little you know, whatever it is, uh, because if we will not wholeheartedly commit to Jesus, it just means we've truly, we haven't truly understood who he is, what a treasure he is. And Jesus, just a couple uh, of his sayings, he says in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Now, Jesus isn't going back on one of the Ten Commandments that says, honor your father and mother, and saying, you know, get rid of that, you don't have to honor them, you can hate them. It's really in comparison to how much we love Jesus, it looks like we, it almost looks like we hate our, our families, our mother and father. And he's saying, if it ever comes between one, like uh, if, I, if trust, trusting in Jesus means I lose my family, he's saying, you need to trust that because this is greater. If there's relationships or things in life keeping us from Jesus, he says, you need to renounce that if you want to follow me because we can't uh, have one foot in both, in both camps. In Matthew 16, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so Jesus is saying, Look, uh, you... You've got to expect that when you find this treasure, it means I'm just giving my whole self to it. There's no uh, either or being, no, no both and, you can't hold on to both. And there's some examples, some really good examples in Scripture. Okay, what does this look like? He's saying, renounce all you have, uh, sell everything you have, because, you know, get rid of everything in order to get this treasure that you found in Jesus. Well, what does that actually look like? Well, one uh, negative example would be. Uh, the, a rich man who comes and asks Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, uh, I, how do I inherit eternal life? And then Jesus is like, uh, Well, you know the commands. Uh, and he lists some of them. <clears throat> and then the man says, I've kept all these commands. And then Jesus, we're told, looks at him and loved him and then said, One thing you lack, sell all that you have and come follow me. Basically saying, Do you see me as your treasure? Are you willing to sell it all to come follow me? And then the man goes away sad because he had many possessions. He had a lot of stuff and a lot of money. And Jesus, the commands that he rattles off to him are like, you know, honor your father and mother, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet. Uh, And he leaves, those are kind of all from the second part of the Ten Commandments, which are focused on loving your neighbor, loving other people. But then he doesn't name the ones from the first part of the Ten Commandments, which are focused on Loving God, loving God above all else with all that we have. And so he tells him, You got here, here's some commands. He's like, Oh, I've got those down. And then Jesus basically reacts him, is, Okay, uh, let's go to the first commandment. 
you shall have no other gods before me. And so he says, will you sell all you have and follow me? He's giving the man a choice. It's a fork in the road. Like, you know the first commandment too. I think you have a God that's coming before God, and it's your money and your stuff. And he says, okay, if you really want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you really want to enter into this, you need to sell all you have, get rid of that God, and come follow me. But that man doesn't do it. That was what it was like in his life. And he basically says, he makes, brings him down to a choice, like you need to choose. And the question for us is not necessarily do we need to sell all that we have, but it's if you had to choose between Jesus and all that you have, what would you choose? And then in Philippians 3 that Sharon read for us uh, earlier, I'm going to flip to it quick, that's on page uh, 981. This is a positive example of someone who's found their whole treasure in Jesus. And this is a man named Paul who became one of Jesus' followers after uh, trying to destroy Jesus' followers and the Jesus movement. And he's writing to this church in Philippi, and he starts off by saying in verse 1, chapter 3, Rejoice in the Lord! And then he goes on and gives them some warnings about some people that are giving them some trouble. And then he starts talking about, like, you know, these people are putting their confidence in the flesh. I mean, they're putting their confidence in what, in their own righteousness, in their own doing, in what they can do. They're thinking, we're right before God because of the things we've done. That's what's making us right with God. And then uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, no, I don't, I don't put confidence in the flesh, but if you were to ask me to, in, to put confidence in what I've done, um, I've got quite a resume. And he goes through, like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I'm keeping all the laws more strictly than anyone. I was zealous about it. I was all in. But this was all of righteousness by his own works. And then in verse 7 he says, so that was his life before Jesus. And in verse 7 he says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So if you wanted a good one-verse description of the Christian life, it would be verses 7, I guess two verses, but verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that's the sum of what the Christian life is, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we count everything as lost. We're willing to lose everything if it means we get to have him. That nothing else can compare. He has surpassing worth above all the other options out there for what we could find as our treasure. So the Apostle Paul is saying, like, look, I had, I had a great resume. I had a good thing going. I was popular in the world. I was popular with other religious leaders. And I was doing good work and yet, from his perspective at the time. He's saying, but I just left it all behind because I realized... There was something more. I gave up all that. And so now, you know, my other Pharisee friends hate me. I'm not committed to the laws, my way of righteousness. I completely changed my life because he realized knowing Jesus was of surpassing worth to all of that stuff. So today we're talking about kingdom worship. And really, worship is all of life and it's every Sunday. This hour and 15 minutes that we spend on Sundays, this is called worship. It's a worship gathering. But 
Worship is all of life, and it's every Sunday when we gather as God's church. And we were made to worship, and so the question isn't whether whether we worship, but what we worship. We were made. God designed us to be worshiping beings, and one way you can think about worship uh, is worthship. Worthship. It's what do we count as the highest worth, the highest value? What is our treasure? What is our treasure in? It, and every time we gather on Sunday, what we're wanting to do is placing Jesus uh, before ourselves as the treasure that he is so that we can engage in worthship, saying, yes, you are worth it. Yes, the things I'm going through, being uh, committed to, even if it means I'm losing things of this world, you are worth it. And that's what we need to come together every time, sun, uh, every time we come on Sunday to see Jesus is worth it. This week has been hard. People have, you know, I've won, just wondered, like, is any of this worth it? And we come together and say, yes, uh, any loss we have is nothing compared to what we gain. And so we are first and foremost uh, desiring beings and not thinking beings. And we think that we think that our thoughts are what make us human, but fun, most fundamentally we are worshiping, desiring beings where we want things, we long for things. God has made us for that. And our mind often follows our heart. Is that what the heart is drawing us towards? Our mind will often catch up and rationalize it and figure it out, but we're drawn towards things. I want to share with you just two short quotes, one from two different books. One says, who we love has more impact on character than what we believe. And the second book says, you are what you love, not what you think or believe. So that's telling us that love, love, you know, we, it is a mental thing, but it also is a, a desiring, a longing thing. And God made us to love him above all else. And then, uh, but, and first to be loved by him, to be loved by God. And in response, we love him above all else. And then that love he's given us, we take to other people and we love them as God has loved us. And if you consider your life, every day we are engaged in heart-tuning habits, rhythms, and practices. We're desiring beings. God made us to desire things, to worship, to put, uh, see something as of ultimate value and worth and as our treasure. And so every day we're engaged in habits, rhythms, and practices that are tuning our hearts um, to something being our ultimate treasure. And I was going to bring my guitar, and then I forgot. I could wander back there, and the host would be like, no, you can't. Oh, I can touch it. Okay, well, is it all plugged in? It's all plugged in, though, right? Oh, it's going to be loud. And yours is plugged in, too. Well, anyway, every time you pick up a guitar, uh, you, I'm not going to play a song, don't worry. Um, you, the host I'm sure does this. This morning, he checked. He's like, okay, is this in tune? He'll check every string, make sure it's in tune. Not because he did anything to get it out of tune, but by it just sitting around, uh, and I don't know if your kids touch your guitar. My kids touch Hudson plays the guitar on my guitar, and sometimes you'll be like, it'll be twisted on this thing. This is what tunes it, tightens it, or loosens it, making it so these strings that actually sound good together. And if it wasn't in tune, this would sound really bad. Again. But they just get out of tune by themselves by sitting in a case or sitting uh, on you know a stand, and then you got to check them every time uh, they come to play it, because otherwise the music isn't going to come out of them properly. And there is habits and rhythms uh, and things in your life that are tuning your heart to what is of ultimate value. 
and it's getting out of tune all week with God being your treasure. That it's getting out of tune as you're being bumped around throughout the week and experiencing things that are drawing you, such as, think of advertising. Advertising is telling you, this will fix what's wrong in your life. This is what you're missing. They give us a picture of the good life, a picture of a kingdom that, look at this, look at how happy these people are, look how much they're enjoying each other. Um, this person you know, was struggling, and then now they got this thing, and now they're not struggling anymore. They're feeling whole and healthy, and they're showing you a view of the good life, that this is the life you want. This is the life as it's supposed to be, and you can get it if you drive an Audi, or you can get it if you drive, drink Coors Light, which wouldn't recommend that, but it's not good, not worth it. Uh, but advertising's goal is to affect your actions by capturing your heart, that they're showing you, yes, that's what I'm missing, yes, that's what I want my life to be, yes, that's broken in my life, and this is going to be the thing that can so they're capturing our heart so that we will take action to do what they want, to buy what they want, to go get their product or their service. And so the world is pulling us toward treasuring either worldly possessions or worldly popularity over Jesus. The world has a current that's pulling us from God and it's tuning our hearts to something else as our treasure. And many times we don't even recognize it, that we're using God to get what we truly treasure. We're not captivated by him, but our prayers can reflect, oh, those are the things I actually treasure, and I hope that God will, I can enlist him in my service to get me those things. And there's this, uh, there's this Harry Potter books, um, I don't remember which one it is, there's a mirror, uh, it's spelled backwards, it's Esared, um, but if you flip it around, it's desire, it's a mirror of desire. And in these books, when you stand in front of the mirror, it gives you a reflection uh, of your most, your deepest and most desperate desire of your heart. And so different people will stand in front of it. Ron stands in front of it. If I remember right, he wants to be like the captain of the sports team. Uh, when Harry stands in front of it, he sees his parents. And so it shows you what your deepest and most desperate desire is. It's a mirror that tells you it. And if we were to look at the mirror of our lives of our lives, how we act, and what our lives revolve around, um, we would perhaps not like what it's reflecting back to us. That if we stood in front of the mirror of desire, does it show Jesus? Does it show God in the mirror? Like, that's the reflection of what's in my heart. Or does it show, actually, you know, I want my house to be this way. I want this type of car. I want my job, or the money, or whatever it is, or my kids doing such and such, or, or that vacation coming up, or that cruise, or whatever. Is that what would be reflected in it, that that's what we're living for, or to be God? And so on Sundays, uh, this hour and 15 minutes, is going through heart-tuning practices. We engage God's Word. We sing. Um, the church will do baptisms. Um, we also we take the Lord's Supper. And in the relationships, the relationships of the body of Christ are one of the most uh, heart-tuning things that you can encounter because we often think, well, we just come here as individuals and then we sing and hear a sermon and then we go back. But actually the relationships is a very powerful way that God tunes our hearts because he says uh, he's present. His temple is now the people of God, not a place uh, or a building. And he says the body of Christ. And so we're all members of this body taking care of one another and that tunes us back to God's gracious love. And so throughout the week, our hearts get bumped out of tune. And we're doing things you know, individually. You might read your Bible, you might pray, you might have some sort of verse you set in your mind. All those things are, 
I want to stay in tune. Like I feel like I'm getting out of tune with you, God, with you being my treasure. And we do these things. When we come together on Sunday, it's like, okay, we've been bumped around throughout the week. We've tried to keep our hearts in tune. And now it's like, okay, this is my the big you know, event where we're going to all get together and get our hearts tuned together to be treasuring God for who he is. Because it's not all the things that God gives us. It's not the gospel isn't, hey, you get out of hell and you get into heaven. Or, hey, you don't have to worry if God's mad at you anymore. No, the gospel is... You get God, good news, you get God in your life. He's the ultimate treasure. He's the best thing you can have. And yes, that means not being in hell. Yes, that means being in heaven. But the reason that that's such good news is because now you get God instead of not getting God, instead of being separated from Him. And so Jesus came to bring us back into that. And God's treasuring of us fuels our treasuring of Him. And it works a little differently because uh, God treasures us by grace, not saying... uh, at least this is how I see it, that God didn't say, oh no, uh, humans are way too valuable, they're like too precious, uh, but I, I couldn't let them kind of just die in their sins and rot in hell. I have to do something about it. Um, God wasn't compelled by how much worth we have, but we have worth because God loves us. God bestows on us worth. He says, you are valuable to me by grace, not because uh, I have to save you because it's like, you know, I don't know if people were like uh, thinking of the Titanic and when they throw that jewel in the water and it's like, no, go, go in there and get, get after it because that thing is worth so much. That's not what God was like. He's saying, wow, you guys are really messed up. And yet I'm still going to love you. I'm going to value you. I'm going to treasure you. Not because uh, your worth is compelling me to do something, but because that's who I am. It's grace. And so God's treasuring us, of us fuels our treasuring of him. We're his treasured possession. And he becomes ours. And so God loves us, enjoys us, treasures us, delights in us, takes pleasure in us. And that changes us from deep within so that now we love, enjoy, treasure, delight in, uh, and take pleasure in him. The one who has treasured us, we now treasure. And John Calvin said, he's a pastor from the 16th century, he said, Indeed, no one gives himself freely and willingly to God's service unless, having tasted his fatherly love, he's drawn to love and worship in return. And so if you find yourself saying, my love for God feels kind of cold, the way to get warm is to warm yourself by the fire of God's love for you. And God becomes our greatest treasure by treasuring us. God becomes our greatest love by loving us. God becomes our greatest delight by delighting in us. God... uh, we are his treasured possession, and, and we treasure him. And so the first and most important task of spiritual formation and discipleship is not to learn to be more loving, but to learn to allow yourself to be loved by the God who loves you. So just application, you can think of it as an audit uh, of your life. Consider uh, to what kingdom do your daily practices, habits, and rhythms orient you toward? Or to what treasure do your daily practices, habits, and rhythms orient you toward? What kind of person are you becoming by engaging in those? You might think, well, if you looked at my life, you would see that uh, this would be a personal confession. You might, if you took an audit of our life, it might be like, well, you guys really like that show, The Flash. Like it seems like your life is really oriented around that. If you don't, you like you make sure you never miss it. This isn't entirely true, but it's what we like watching, The Flash on Netflix. So it's like you might see, wow, when you guys are tired. Uh, when you don't even have enough time in the night to watch an episode, you'll stay up later to watch it. 
Uh, you'll cut things short with other people. You make sure you get an episode in every day. And it's like, it seems like your life is kind of oriented around this show. And, you know, imagine aliens coming and landing and being like, what do these people really treasure? What do these people really value? And they might, we might be surprised at what they walk away with. And so look into the mirror of your life and ask, to what treasure do your daily practices, habits, and rhythms orient you toward? And secondly, we want to become a community that shows people how to treasure Jesus. And so consider, in what ways does your life show that Jesus is your greatest treasure? How would people see that in your life? If you're just being the real you, do people see Jesus is your greatest treasure? Or would they be surprised to find, like, Jesus is the most important thing to me? And maybe they'd be like, oh, that's, I, I didn't know that at all. I thought it would have been this or that. Ultimate Frisbee, as you know, people say about me. Or disc golf, like, or landscape, or, you know, yard work. Like, that's what I always saw you talking about and taking your time to do and working on. So I kind of thought that was the most important thing to you. I'm surprised that it would be Jesus. And so we want to both be a people that are surrendering our lives to Jesus as our greatest treasure and inviting other people to treasure him, find the treasure that he is uh, in their own lives as well. Let's pray. Father, you've, you know that our hearts, as the song says, are prone to wander. And we can feel it. We can feel the current of this world drawing us from you, that as soon as we step out of here, uh, this world is set against us making you our highest and greatest treasure. So Lord, as we finish this service with uh, the Lord's Supper and singing, would you capture our hearts with you as our greatest treasure? Would you um, make it so that we are seeking after you with all of our energy, all of our effort, all of our creativity? And Lord, would you help us to invite others to do the same? It's your son's name we pray. Amen.